Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is the host of the 12 Cow podcast, Mr. 12 Cow. Thank you for joining me. Man, thanks for having me on, man. I've been looking forward to this. Really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you. First of all, let me, the, the reason, every, it's funny because everybody kept saying, man, you got to get 12 Cow on your podcast. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, I never really got a chance to listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know why I didn't. I'm just gonna be honest. I don't know why I didn't. Because it's a million podcast. That's why. It, yeah. Thanks for bailing. <laughs> Look, I appreciate you bailing me out. I appreciate. <laughs> nah, I don't trip off stuff like that, man. But no, but what? It, but honestly, everybody kept recommending it, so I said, mm-hmm. okay, you know what? Let me go listen to um to what he's doing. So I I, I went through your library, and when I want a guest, I try to. I tr- if they got an episode by themselves, it's perfect because it's like, okay, I get a chance to listen to who they are. Right. And you actually had two, but I only got a chance to listen to the one with the 10 years. And let me tell you, that was a really good episode, man. That was really good. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. That was that was fun to do because um, Lamp, I'll be honest, man, I was sitting down and just kind of thinking, and you know how it is <clears throat> a lot of times, particularly with people like us who are content creators, you don't really think about, oh, I want to do this or I want to do this. I just ideas just come to me. And one day I was just kind of kicking it. And it dawned on me like I started looking at I think somebody mentioned something about the 90s. And then I started thinking about what actually happened to me in the 90s, because, you know, we always go back and talk about, oh, man, this album came out in the 90s. Or I remember this this type of hairstyle or this car was out in the 90s. And I started to examine the 90s from 1990 to you know, 1999, I was like, damn, you know, and I started thinking about my life. I was like, damn, I did a lot. Like, and then, so that was spawned a conversation and it spawned a podcast, me graduating from high school, going to college, graduating from college, uh, meeting my, my girlfriend, then future wife in college. And, um, you know, and then subsequently in 1999, I was having our first child, our son. And then, you know, if you want to take it a year further in 2000, we got married. So, um, a lot happened in that span of time. And I just, I wanted to use that, that, that episode to kind of show people and also show myself, you know, the progress that the progress that happened over that period of time. Cause I think sometimes, you know, when we're running the race, we don't really ever stop to look back and see what miles, you know, we accomplished. And, um, you know, I think that episode helped me do that. Did you actually write, write it out like before you recorded or you just freestyled No, I don't, I don't write anything. I, I will write, you know, what, I'll write down a word or two just as I'm trans. So when I transition to the next subject, um, but I don't write anything out, man. It's just, uh, it's, it, you know, it's a conversation piece and I just, you know, kind of much like what you do speak from the heart. And, um, you know, I try, to, I try not to ramble, but, um, I don't go into episodes saying, okay, well, hey, this particular episode is going to be 25 minutes. I mean, you know, if you want to hit the sweet spot on a podcast, particularly if you're doing one by yourself, um, you know, 25 to 35 minutes is, is about right. You know, if you're doing an hour by, you better keep people entertained and, you know, intertwined in what you're saying. Um, but even with that, I just, I, I'm I'm, I'm kind of like a, um, an artist where, or writer where they write until they get that thought out and then they put the pen down. So I'm kind of the same way with the podcast. Had that person not suggested that the nineties, 
Would you have picked that decade to do the podcast on? Probably not. Because <laughs> you don't really you don't really think about it because you know the 90s, it was like I said, it's in and I I just know like when I talk, even when I talk about music on my podcast, a lot of times I reflect on the 90s because so much music was out during that particular time. And it's so vastly different from, you know, when you talk about R&B or hip hop that's out of today and, and rightfully so, but you know, technology was different back then. And so you're talking about a kid who in 1991 graduated from high school, there was no social media, there was no Twitter, you know, I didn't, didn't have a pager, didn't have a cell phone. And, you know, we managed to communicate with our friends and we managed to do certain things. And I think talking about that part of life, or at least my life, and that part of history and my history, I think is, I think it's valuable. And it's, it's something that people who didn't live that uh, actually like listening to, because now things seem so, while we have so much, it seems like, you know, some of that stuff has made us a little dumber, if you will, to some degree, or lazier. Um, but you know, Lamp, I mean, we came from an era where if you wanted to talk to a young lady, you had to spit. You know, you, you, you couldn't send no text, you know. <laughs> it wasn't no, you know, let me let me get your phone number and then I start texting. You know, you had to be able to talk. So I think I, that's one of the reasons why I think I towards, I kind of gravitate towards podcasts with people in our era or our age group. I think I'm older than you, but, you know, people 35 and above, if you will, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, who, the ones who didn't have you know, social media and Twitter and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with it. I, I experiment, experiment with all of that stuff, but um, I think we just develop differently. And I think there's a segment of people who like reminiscing about that time frame, and then there's some people who didn't live it, but they love hearing about it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something in the episode, you were saying like, we don't take enough time to like sit back and reflect and appreciate the things that we've accomplished. So before that, before you even began the process of recording this episode, did you were you actually talking about yourself? Like you didn't really get a chance to like reflect and appreciate the things you did accomplish? I was definitely talking about myself. Um, I you know, like I don't know, I don't know if it's necessarily that I didn't get a chance to. I think I was just so busy doing different things to where I didn't allow myself to stop and, and smell the roses, if you will. And you know, I just turned 50 this past December. And so, you know, when you hit that mark, you start looking back like, damn, I've been on this planet for 50 years. If I got another 50 <laughs> in me, you know, I, I need to, you know, at least have some things that, you know, I want to do and accomplish. And then also you, I think it's important that we stop and, and, and it's hard to do, but I think the pandemic probably showed a lot of us that we probably didn't need to be running as fast as we were running. And we probably needed to sit down and chill for at least for a little bit. And I think during that time frame, it, it gave me a, a little more appreciation to kind of sit back and look and be like, okay, man, you did some things. And, and no, everybody's not going to be, you know, everybody's not going to get a soul train lifetime achievement award. Um, everybody's not going to be recognized and have their name in lights, but we all accomplished something. And, you know, through this medium, if this medium is around for, I don't know, the next hundred years, my grandkids, my great grandkids, they'll be able to press a button and hear what I sound like. And I think that's one of the things that I, I, um, I really wanted to accomplish with my podcast is, you know, letting my ancestors that come behind me know who I was and what I was about and how I thought I would love to press a button and be able to hear my grandmother's voice. I can't, 
Uh, my maternal grandmother passed away when I was uh, six. And she was the sweetest lady in the world. And I remember her very, I remember her vividly. But, you know, I don't know what she thought about <laughs> the civil rights movement. And she lived through it. I don't know what she, li- I don't know what she thought about living in the Jim Crow South. But if she had a podcast in 1955, she probably would have talked about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to use this podcast to kind of give a time capsule of who I am and what my thoughts were and um, and just kind of take it at that. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I, I wanted to, that was more of a message to myself than anything else. Okay. What, something you touched on um, in the podcast, you, you mentioned that you just, you knew you were going to graduate high school. <laughs> <laughs> and you really didn't you really didn't enjoy it and i found that to be very interesting because you know statistics sometimes don't support that all black black men i mean really just in general we're mm-hmm. not all going to graduate from from high school but you just knew you were going to so what gave you that confidence and that assurance that you just knew you was going to finish high school <laughs> <laughs> my mama <laughs> <laughs> You know what, Lamp? It was I. It was a very. It it was very interesting when I look back on it because, like, there was just a level of expectation. Like it wasn't like, so I mean, like we were. Don't get it twisted. We we were happy to graduate, but I I didn't like, you know, throw up, throw up, you know, throw my hands up in the air and jump up and down like I just won the championship. Like I was just like, oh, I mean, I graduated from high school. I'm supposed to do this. You know, I graduated with honors. Okay, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. This is, you know, because in my t- in my time, I graduated, like I said, in 1991. Um, it was a TV show that everybody's familiar with called A Different World, mm-hmm. which gave me a peek at, you know, college life, particularly black college life. That's what I wanted to get to. So I don't think I really, I enjoy. I loved high school. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But I don't think I cherished it like some of my other classmates because, my eye was already on getting to, you know, my Hillman college, <laughs> if you will. Um, so I wasn't, so it wasn't until like after I graduated and man, it might've been about four or five years later. I was like, damn, I ain't really, I didn't really cherish that moment of graduating. Um, I enjoyed it, but like, I'll give you a perfect example. Lamp. Um, the day that I graduated, June 7th, 1991, um, the Chicago Bulls are playing in NBA finals. Mm. And uh, they're playing against the Lakers. So I was trying to get home to see game three. I didn't get, <laughs> <laughs> I had friends like, yo, man, we're going over here to this party. We're going over here. I was like, yo, I'm going to see Mike. I don't, I'm going to see Mike versus Magic. I, I get, I'll catch y'all tomorrow. And yeah. so that's how it was. So it's like, it, it was, it was an achievement, but it wasn't something that I think I celebrated like most people did. I, it was just some. it was just a notch on the belt for me. You mentioned your mom. Was she an educated woman or? Uh, she, my mom, she got her college degree after me. Um, wow. yeah, she, uh, she, she had done some college. My parents, um, my parents got divorced when I was what, almost I was turning turning fourteen, and my mom is probably well, I'm not gonna say probably, <laughs> my mom is the strongest woman in the world, and you know there were some whispers and people were like, well. You know, you're not with your husband anymore. What you going to do now? You know, and like almost like people were doubting her. And, you know, the one thing I learned from her amongst many things is when somebody doubts you, you just you're going to prove them wrong. And she she 
always had that drive to push herself and prove people wrong. But her main focus was to make sure that me and my brother, who's three years younger than me, um, you know, graduate. And once we graduated from college, yeah, she went back to school. She got a nursing degree and uh, she was a nurse for the better part of 20, 25 years. Wow. I'm going to go back to something because I really, I really fear, I really think it's important that I ask this question. <laughs> um, you talked about your love for the show, A Different World. Yeah. And also in the podcast, you mentioned that you made a decision. You were not going to attend a PWI. Was that because you're, you was that, did that come from watching a different world and seeing that example of HBCU college life? Uh, yeah, it, 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 it was, it, that heavily influenced it. Um, growing up in uh, Florence, South Carolina, I went to a predominantly black high school. So my high school lamp was probably 90, 10. And, you know, a lot of people that went to our school, a lot of kids went to college, but, you know, South Carolina, kids were going to Clemson. They were going to the University of South Carolina. They were going to College of Charleston and some of these other schools. You know, some go to Georgia, University of um, North Carolina, whatever the case may be. Um, But I made up in my mind real early. I was like, no, I want I want that black experience. And I like the fact that I had gone to a black elementary school black middle school, black high school. I'm going to black college. I wanted to be with my people. So by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I knew I was going to an HBCU. The question was just where that, that was it. It wasn't anytime anybody came to me with, Hey, well, have you looked at Clemson? Nah, nah, I ain't going to Clemson. <laughs> so it, it was, it was a no brainer for me. You play, you play football too, correct? Yes, sir. If you can see right here, this helmet, um, I played at South Carolina State University for uh, all five years that I was there. <laughs> five and a half, excuse me. <laughs> let me. Let me ask you, if if one of those PWIs was offering the full ride, like a Clemson or one of those mm-hmm. big schools, would that have, would that have swayed your influence or it was just not, nothing they could have did? Nah, honestly, no. Um, the only thing that would have swayed it was if, I, if, if let's say Clemson had offered me a full ride and I had to pay to go to South Carolina state, then <laughs> I probably would have gone to Clemson. But um, no, nah, there, there was, I had my mind made up, man. I love my people. I love being black. Um, it was something that was instilled in us for as long as I can remember. And um, you know, my mom grew up in the, in, in the South. My dad grew up in, in New Jersey. And so they, they were in, polar opposites of what they saw growing up my mom grew up in the segregated south so we were just taught like just to love ourselves and love our people and um my uncle played college ball at south carolina state university and um i had an older cousin who was probably about four or five four years older than me and he went to south carolina state so it was you know i'd been on south carolina state's campus several times and um i and i mentioned (laughs) In other in previous episodes, like South Carolina State wasn't my it wasn't my first choice, but it was on my list. It was like probably third or fourth. Um, Howard was Howard was on my list, uh, and I actually applied to Howard, but Howard never responded back. So um, you know, it is what it is. But um, uh, but I did I got into South Carolina State and Hampton on the same day, wow. and um, but yeah, it was it was HBCUs at at, at that point, man. I I, I wasn't. I wasn't that fond of white folk. 
And so <laughs> I'm, like, I'm gonna keep it real. I wasn't fond of white folk, and I really wasn't fond of being around them like that. And so I was just like, you know, I'm gonna have to be around them at some point in my life. So let's just kind of postpone this thing for the next five years. So yeah. that's what I did. Well, you know, I'm gonna ask, what was your top choice? Uh my top choice actually was Hampton. It was it was like Hampton, Howard. I'll I'll tell you the schools I applied to: Hampton, Howard, A and T. South Carolina State. I think it was just those four. Mm-hmm. And um, I got into Hampton, got into South Carolina State. Never heard back from Howard, never heard back from a and I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe the stuff got lost in the mail lamp. I don't know. But, um, you know, so I didn't feel bad when we beat A&T and Howard on the, on the football field. I had I had a little, <laughs> little extra oomph to do it. So, you know, but, um, you know, South Carolina, going to South Carolina State was probably one of the smartest, if not the smartest decision I ever made. Um, there's no way that I can repay the school for what I learned there. Um, and I mentioned earlier, I met my my wife there. So um, lifelong friends. We won a championship at South Carolina State on the football field in 1994. Um, so I just, I have just great fun and great memories there. Well, okay. You said Hampton was your top choice and you got accepted. So why didn't you go? Great question, Lamb. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Hampton at the time was about to go on probation. Oh, I was actually recruited by Hampton as well to play football. And my quarterback from high school, he was recruited. He actually went on a recruiting visit there. And he when he came back and he's like, yo, man, you got it, you got it, man, a women, man. Da, da, da. I mean, so he he laid it out for me, Lamp, and he was just like, and one of my best, one of my best friends had already gotten accepted there. So that it would have been perfect, but Given the fact that I knew that they were going on probation, I was just like, man, you don't want to get in somebody's mess. And it, it was clearly a lot of mess. And it, it wasn't even so like some of the stuff that is going on now, but it was just I, I didn't want to I didn't want to roll the dice. I didn't want to roll the dice. I didn't want something to impede my decision or my ability to to play play football and, you know, be a, a student. So um, South Carolina State, it was. How long was they on probation, you know? Uh, three years. Three oh, years. Mm-hmm. yep. Three years. Damn, that would have been like your whole career. Exactly, exactly. Says, and you know, it could have been something as simple as, and to be honest, I don't even remember what the violations were, but it could have been something like they could have cut scholarships, or they could have, you know, been banned from postseason play. All of that stuff plays into your mind when when you're a, you know, a seventeen year old high school senior. So, what position did you play? Wide receiver. I am five foot seven and a half. <laughs> Don't forget the half lamp. Um, so yeah, I wasn't the biggest of receivers. Uh, I, I could catch. I was pretty quick. Um, and I, you know, I had some, I, I did some things in high school. So, um, you know, I, I think I would have done okay at Hampton and, um, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. But like I said, I, I ended up where I was supposed to be. Now, how did how did how would you say football help helped you in your per, like your personal life, like developing you as a man? Um, a lot, man. It, it football teaches you so much, so many life skills that you pick up from the game. Um, one discipline. Um, I think the level of discipline that you have to play to play the game because, and I always tell people, I'm like. <laughs> First of all, to play football, you gotta be a little, you gotta be a little bit crazy to be <laughs> to be running into people, 
you know, every 30 seconds you're running into somebody full speed, you gotta be a little bit crazy. And again, I'm not a big dude. So, um, and, and I might've been lamp. I might've been 155 pounds with Tim's on when I stepped on <laughs> South Carolina state's campus. So I wasn't, I wasn't big and I wasn't, you know, I mean, I was cut up, but I wasn't, I was a little dude. So, you know, you know, you see a little dude on the field, you're trying to tear his head off. So, but football taught me so much, man. It, it, it taught me when my, my high school coach, Virgil Wells, rest in peace. He used to always say, man, he said, you got to have a respect for time. Time waits for no man. So he always drilled in my head about time management. And that's one of the things that football teaches you and taught me. Like, so even to this day, Lamp, I hate being late for anything. Mm. I want to be early. Lamp, and my, my family will tell you this. If we go into the movies and the movies start at eight, I want to be at the movie theater at seven. Damn. <laughs> seven. <laughs> Lamp, I don't want to miss night, man. I, I, I don't, you know, I work from home, but when I used to have to go into an office, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to be at work that early, but I don't want to be late either. And I mean, I never had a job where somebody was, you know, watching the clock or anything like that. But I, if I need to be, if I'm supposed to be in my seat at eight, I want to be there seven 45, seven 50, you know, um, it teaches you discipline. It teaches you dependability. You know, people, can people depend on you? Um, you know, so many life lessons, man. And it just, I think, um, I think I was able to take a lot from the game, man. And I think um, it, it really helped me as far as staying focused on what it was that I wanted to do with my life. And, um, you know, football teaches you that. And it also teaches you hum- humility too, man, because you're not going to always win. You know, in life, you're going to take some L's. And, you know, if, <laughs> like my coach used to always tell us, if, if you live long enough, you're going to see a lot of bad days. Yeah. But the key thing is a bad day doesn't necessarily mean you had a bad life. You know, my coach used to always, my head coach, Willie Jeffers, um, love him to death. Even right now, he's still, he's 86 years old right now. Legend. He said, you know, just because you had, had a bad day don't mean you got a bad life. You just had a bad day. Go to sleep and you, he said, you'll get another, he said, God willing, you'll get another chance to make it better the next day. But he also said, you know, the good days are outnumber the bad. They should. You know, and I kind of feel like that about life, man. You, you, we gonna have, we gonna take our lumps, but that's what one of the things the game of football taught me was, you know, when you take your lumps, when you have your setbacks, um, nothing's permanent. Nothing's permanent. Even if you're riding the wave of success, nothing's permanent. There's gonna be some bumps. You know, can you weather it? And can you be humble about your success and your failures? Yeah. You you mentioned on the episode you have a, a son. Um, I think born in 1999. So mm-hmm. it was like. 20 that makes my like 23 24 mm-hmm. yep he'll be 24 next week now i don't know i don't know because I, I don't know you i don't know too much about his story but my question is how would you have felt if he played football if he did because i don't know if he played or not no he didn't play he was he was a baseball kid um i would have i would have supported it um <clears throat> we actually have four kids he was the oldest that's why okay. i mentioned mentioned him in the podcast we have three sons and a daughter um, and they, he's, he'll, he's about to be 24. Um, his brother Cameron is about to be 21 next week. Uh, and our youngest son, Brandon, he's in high school. He's actually, he actually plays football. He's a high school junior and our daughter, she's, uh, 12. Oh, well, she's about to be 12. She'll be 12 in September. She's in, uh, seventh grade. So to answer your question, he didn't play football. Cameron played 
that's our middle son. Cameron played little league football and then he got to middle school and stopped. Brandon played little league football, stopped, and then picked it back up in high school. Um, I'm nervous <laughs> about Brandon playing high school football. Um, but I also understand that, you know, one thing my dad always told me, he said, you you play until if you love the game, and I love the game. He said, you play until somebody tells you you can't play anymore. And so I just took it and ran with it. And so, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Brandon will play beyond high school, but if he does, that'd be great. But um, I have no apprehensions about them playing football. The thing I would just tell them is you want to educate them just like you would any other child. Educate them on how to play the game. Educate them on taking care of their body. Educate them on the risk that come with playing football i mean because there are risks like i said earlier you know you're running in somebody full speed like the law of science will tell you that you know the outcome ain't going to be good if you keep doing that for long periods of time fortunately for me maybe it's because of the position that i played i don't have any long-term side effects or concussions or anything like that or broken bones and stuff that are bothering me at 50 i'm good <clears throat> but i know some guys who were you know kind of messed up guys who had cte uh things of that nature guys who had hip replacements and stuff like that at relatively young ages. Um, mm -hmm. And part of that's, you know, comes from playing the game. So, you know, nobody sat down with us and told us about the risk of playing football back then. But um, I think as long as you educate yourself, um, then you can move forward or not knowing the risks that are involved. Did you ever lose your love for the game? Never, never. Okay. Um <clears throat> I um I tell people all the time, football is my first love. Long before it was girls, <laughs> long, <laughs> long before it was hip hop, it was full. I fell in love with her at the age of eight years old. And it's always been that way. And so, <clears throat> you know, this time of year, the football season comes around, man, I'm good. Lamp. <laughs> <laughs> I am good because there's a game on Friday night. All these games are all day Saturday. You got college you got nfl on sundays you got monday night football and then you got thursday night i mean so i love the game and i love the fact that i have a family that understands that and you know they get their dad time they get their husband time but you know when the game is on the game is on so <laughs> <laughs> but my love my love to play the game I, you know what i think more than anything else i love the game but i love to compete too mm. and i think that was another thing that really pushed me so when I stopped playing at South Carolina State, some of the some of the tools that I got from football, like <clears throat> like competing, I was able to take to, you know, corporate America, if you will. Okay. Did you well, did you find a so initially, did you find it hard to replace that competition? Great question. Um not really. Okay. I think the thing that because and the reason why I say that lamp is because my identity wasn't caught up in being a football player. Like I, I played with guys who <clears throat> all they were was football players. And for some, all they ever were going to be was football players. Um, you know, and some of them went to school and they didn't go to school necessarily to get a degree. They went to school to play ball. And when ball was over, you know, a couple of them, you know, school was over. Mm -hmm. So my identity was never tied into 
you know, because like I said, being five, seven, 155, I wasn't going to the NFL. So um, my identity and who Kyle was, was never tied into the sport that I played. It's just something that I did and I loved doing. But so when you take that away, you know, I just found other things to be competitive about. Now, it's not the same. You don't get the same rush, you know, <laughs> pulling up to work that you do walk, running out on the field with, you know, 30,000 people in the stands and the, the band playing the fight song and, you know, cheerleaders dancing and all kind of stuff. You don't get that same adrenaline rush. I don't think you can get that adrenaline rush at anything, to be honest. But um, the level of competition going against competing against the man in front of you um, but also one of the things that you learn from football lamp is that a lot of your competition is here. It's in between your ears. And so if you are able to challenge yourself and, and continually challenge yourself, then you can take that anywhere. You can take that in the corporate world. You can take that in any line of business, whatever the case may be. Um, and so that is another lesson that I think, um, you know, helped me along the way. You mentioned your size. You were, you were small, like five seven, one fifty. Do you think? Do you think that helped you ex- excel in the classroom? And let me say the reason I say that is because you said it yourself. You knew you wasn't going to the NFL. You knew pretty much your career was going to end in college. So did that help you lock in more as a student because you knew like this was going to be the next phase of your life? Oh no, most definitely. Now if I was. <laughs> If I was six five and two ten, and I ran, <laughs> and I ran a four two forty, then no, I probably maybe I wouldn't have been as focused. But um, you know, I you're right because I, I think you it goes back to like I said what my dad said. You know, you play until somebody tells you that you can't play. Well, I I kind of knew like this is probably going to be it, mm-hmm. and so I was realistic with myself. But also, um, I, I I never wanted to make myself just be. Like I said, just a football player. Like I'll give you an example. Like my, my major was marketing at South Carolina State. And so we didn't really have a lot of football players in the school of business. <laughs> uh. The school of business uh, on my campus is the hardest, hardest part of the curriculum to get a degree from. I mean, like they told us from day one, like, look, this is a five-year program. You want to do it in four, you're going to need to be in summer school like three years. And I was like, I ain't trying to do that. But then, and I was like, it can't be that hard. Yes, it is. It is hard. I mean, but because everybody doesn't come out of the school of business. Um, but even having that marketing degree lamp, I remember, I remember, I never forget, we, it was, um, I had an international marketing class and we had to do a presentation. And so me and my man, Mo, uh, shout out to Mo. Um, he was also a receiver as well. And we were both marketing majors. <clears throat> and we did the presentation. And I remember one of my classmates saying, I didn't know you played football. She was like, you, you, you don't, you don't sound like a football player. And I'm like, uh, how am I supposed to sound? <laughs> like, am I supposed to not be able to put my subject and verbs together? Am I supposed to, you know, because I, I, I speak like I'm intelligent, you know, but it was just like, <clears throat> people don't think that you're supposed to do certain things because they pigeonhole you. And that's what I mean by like, I didn't want to just be a football player, but you're right. I think, you know, knowing of my size, yeah, I knew that the NFL wasn't going to come calling, but, um, you know, and I I also wanted to, you know, make my parents proud and my family proud. And I had my brother coming right behind me. So, um, you know, getting that degree was very important to me. So. We, you, you mentioned something and, and I want to, I want to kind of touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, football players, 
academics, you know, did you find yourself getting frustrated a lot that people wanted to just box you in as a football player and make comments like that? Like, like you can't be, you can't be an intellectual as well as an athlete. Oh, most definitely. And and it was, um, it's, it's really idiotic, you know, when you think about it and like, because, you know, we're, we're black people, we are, we're not a monolith, you know, and we're all, we're all on this college campus for a reason. Now, yeah. Did I have some teammates that weren't that bright? <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know, but I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to stereotype people because even the guys that weren't that bright, those guys, if you, once you got to know them, you knew that they were more than just a big body, um, you know, carrying out the mission of trying to play football. Um, so yeah, I, I never bought into that type of stereotypes or those types of tropes. Cause I think if you buy into that kind of stuff, you'll let people label you doing anything. And I never, I was never one for that. Cause I don't think any of us should want anybody to kind of box them in. You know, you are who you are. And what I want you to do is, you know, get to know Kyle. If Kyle allows you to get to know him, <laughs> cause I, you know, I really wasn't, as open probably then as I am now, but, um, and even now still somewhat reserved as crazy as that sounds as a guy with a podcast, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't buy into those tropes then. And I definitely don't buy into them now. One thing you mentioned also is you, you, you always said you, you didn't, you wasn't sure if you was going to make it through college. Yes. You wasn't going to make it at South Carolina state. Um, what happened to make you decide to go ahead and stay? Great question, man. I think, you know what, Lamp? I think one of the things that um <clears throat> made me stay was that I never quit in anything. And <laughs> I remember um one year when I was playing Little League football, ironically, my dad was coaching me. And Lamp, we had this team, man. We sucked. I mean, like, we were terrible. <laughs> And Lamb, I'm not going, I'm not just bragging. I was the best player on the team. I played wide receiver and I played quarterback. And I was all, I was like the all-star, whatever. And um, I told my dad, you know, we were like 0 and, we were like 0 and 7 or something, 0 and 5 or something like that. Maybe like halfway through the season. And I'll never forget it was a game. I came on the side, we, the game ended and we came and we sat on the bench. And one of my little teammates, white boy, <clears throat> he was two, two of them actually. They were talking about, oh, yeah. I mean, like, they were happy. They were like, man, I'm glad the game is over. We can go hunting later. I'm like, <laughs> like, bro, we just lost 56 to nothing, man. What are you talking about? You going hunting? Like, like, I'm hurt. I'm mad because we lost 56 to nothing. And these dudes over here, they just, they, they, they're they on. I mean, like, the game hadn't been over for five minutes. And they've already moved on. And so I remember telling my dad, like, later that week, I was like, man, I want to quit. And he was like, you want to quit what? He was like, quit football. And he was like, I'm not going to let you quit. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm going to quit. And he said, well, i tell you what. He said, if you're going to quit, he said, you're going to go upstairs. And he said, you get ready for the, the worst spanking you're going to ever get in your life. He said, and then, he said, after you get a spanking, he said, you're going go to go to practice and address all of your teammates and tell them that, you, that you're going to quit. Just you're quitting the team. And because he knew me, he knew one, <laughs> I wasn't trying to take that spanking. <laughs> and then two, he knew that I always liked the fact that my teammates knew that they could depend on me. Um, people who are in my circle know that they can depend on me. 
you know, being dependable is something that I think is is a lost art. And I always want to be there for people. And I try, you know, honest, sometimes I try to be there for people I'm not even that, even that fly with. But, you know, I didn't want to quit. And so to answer your question, that's the thing that really got to me. I was like, I don't want to quit. I, I feel like if I left at the time that I was talking about leaving, things really weren't going my way. Um, I was having adversity as far as like, you know, a couple of classes. Um, one of the relationships that I was in had just ended and I really loved this girl. And I was like, I don't know. If, I don't know if I really want to be around here because I'm going to see her. And I was just, I was done. I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm done. I was like, I might as well transfer. You know, so I was, and I, and I wasn't playing either. So I was like, why, why, why should I stick around for this? You know, but um, I stuck it out, man. I stuck it out. And, and again, one of the best decisions I ever made. Did you reach out to anybody to talk to anybody or you just kind of figured it out on your own? Figured it out on my own, man. You know, um, I think I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think I talked to anybody about it really. Not in deep, not in detail. And um, it's, it's funny because like my boy that went to Hampton, my boy Zell, um, he's one of my best friends. I remember he called, <clears throat> excuse me, he called me one day and um, I was going to tell him, and he started telling me about Hampton and this and that. And I was like, hey, I was like, well, you know, he kind of going through. I mean, he wasn't struggling, but he was kind of going through some things or whatever like that. And it was like, then I kind of realized, like, that's what college is. You know, like you, it's not going to all be smooth sailing. And he said something during that conversation. I can't even remember what he said, but <clears throat> he just said something that kind of gave talking to him kind of gave me the shot in the arm. So I didn't while I didn't tell him specifically that I con contemplated leaving. Um, that conversation I do remember kind of pushed me back and I was, I was determined not to quit. You mentioned your dad several mm -hmm. times and you also mentioned earlier that you got, um, your parents unfortunately went through a divorce mm -hmm. at 14. How did that affect your relationship with both of your parents? Oh man. Um, <laughs> great question. Um, my dad and I are super tight. We were super tight back then. Um, and he, you know, it's interesting. Like he used to always tell me and my brother, he used to always say, um, when you guys get older, I'll be more like your friend than, than I am your dad. And that's where we are to this day. The cat, he's, he's about to be what? 77 uh, in a couple of weeks. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we talk even to this day, every, every other day. Um, if not every day. Um, so that's like one of my best friends. But back then it didn't it didn't really affect our relationship adversely. Um, it was tough because he wasn't in the house anymore. And it was even tougher because it came out of nowhere. I mean, like normally in a divorce, you see mom and dad arguing with my parents never, ever argued at least not in front of us. And I can't even say that about me and my wife and our kids. <laughs> They've seen us argue. We try not for them to see us argue. Right. But, um, you know, uh, my mom, it was, we had our ups and downs for a minute. And the reason being is that I was so much, I'm so much like my dad, you know, and I, and it wasn't like she tried to take it out on me because, you know, the thing was, was her issue issue was with him, not me. But, you know, in a lot of ways, I did things and said things that kind of reminded, reminded her of um, him. And um, but probably by the time I graduated, well, actually. 
we really got it was we had our moments i think when i was in high school but we really got close once i went to college as, as strange as it sounds and um i know even though south carolina state was only 90 miles away from where i live like i know my mom really missed me being in the house and she she really cherished the times when i would come home from school she never said it i mean she said it but she you know i, I could see it and i could feel it um and we got to be really, really close and been close ever since. We 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 were closer probably when I I'll put it like this. We we're probably closer when I was in college than we were when I was in high school. And um, but she is um still the strongest woman I know. Um, I see a lot of similarities in her and the woman that I married. Um, I see a lot of similarities in her and my daughter. Um, just that determination to to do things and um you know, our relationship has gotten strong and strong. And I mean, and honestly, Lamp, I mean, she shared with me some things that over time um, that I didn't know back then about their marriage that I found out years later. I mean, of course, I I, I didn't have to put two and two together. I mean, <laughs> my mom and dad split up in like, what was it? Like July or something like that. And like nine months later, my sister was born from another woman. So, I mean... <laughs> it didn't take it didn't take long to put two and two together you know about what happened but i mean you know even then i remember my dad telling me like you know it's some things that you'll understand later and he wasn't lying you know i understand all of that then i understand it now and how things can happen you know being married you know it's it's that's a job in and of itself and it's it's uh it's something that you have to pour into and people have you have to pour into the other person so forth and so on and, um, you know, the thing he always told me about me and my brother about their marriage, he would say, like, he said, we, we, we were parents. He was like, but we weren't best of friends. Mm. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, and he told me that one day and I said, what? And, and this is how real our conversation was. I said, well, dad, you still fucked up. I mean, you knew what you were doing. You know, you knew what kind of woman you had at home. You know what kind of woman you had over here? Now he eventually, you know, married this woman, and they're still married. But, um, but you know, I was like, no, you, you, you fucked up. So, you know, it, and it ain't for me to judge, but right, you can't right. say, you can't say, well, you can't kind of dress it up either. And I think at that point in time, he was trying to dress it up. But, I mean, at that time we were having a conversation. I was probably like twenty five, twenty six. At that point, I, I already knew what the game was. I was like, no, nah, dog, you can't, you. You could tell me that at 17. At 25, <laughs> I could I could see it for what it is. Like, no, nah, you 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 fucked that one up. Yeah. You let yeah, you you let go a real one. A real one. But you know, it all works out, man. Let me ask you this. Um, you've you you've mentioned you've been married yourself, you've been married 23 years. And and unfortunately, your parents marriage ended in divorce. Did that make you fearful of getting married yourself no okay um it didn't make me fearful but it did excuse me i think i think the thing that it did do was the adverse effect that it had on me was in relationships um i was i would purposely not let young ladies get but so close Wow. Because here's the thing, Lamp. When when you got two people that are the 
when you got two people that were together as long as they were together and then they all of a sudden they break up you know it it tore me and my brother up and it hurt us obviously but the thing about it was that pill would have been a little bit easier to swallow if we had seen them argue but i mean it literally came i mean like we would i never forget we were just sitting down one day and it was like i said i'm we about to talk and they turned the dv off and they started talking i'm like where the hell is this going and i mean like and and i looked over my brother even after they said what they said my brother who was i was 14 he was 11 you know it still was kind of flying over his he didn't really understand it so but i will say that yeah it definitely affected me as far as the relationships like i wasn't gonna let you get so close um because i didn't want anybody else to hurt me like that ever i was like you know i was like you can get close. We can, we can be cool. You can love me. <laughs> if we break up, I, I can be, I should be able to walk away from this breakup and be cool and be fine and not be in tears and not be hurt, not be anything because the two people that mean the more, the two, two of the three people that mean the most to me have left as far as the unit that we had. So I was like, you know, I, I never wanted to, I was like, I'm not going to get, I ain't gonna let nobody get that close. And um, I will say that affected some, <laughs> it adversely affected some relationships. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and you know what, Lamp? I was, if I'm being honest, Lamp, I was okay with that. I was totally okay with that because to, to me, in my mind, they weren't the one. Now, I hope, no, even if they hear this, I mean, I don't, I don't care, but they weren't the one. So you didn't have to get that close. I wasn't, so it, it was okay that you didn't get that close because we weren't together. We weren't going to be together. Um, but um, but no, it didn't. It didn't make me apprehensive about being married. It didn't make me apprehensive about becoming a parent. I will say this much though, Lamp. Um, I probably, <laughs> I it probably skewed my mind because I, I I remember growing up. I remember like thinking, yeah, I'm gonna have a son one day. I'm gonna have a son. But I never had like, and I had dreams of having a son. But like I never had dreams of having a wife with the son. Like in, in those, you know, like you have those daydreams when you're when you're a, a teenager or young man. So yeah. I always had, you know, I had those dreams, those daydreams of me taking my son to the ballpark and us playing baseball or, or playing catch in the yard. But there was never a wife in those daydreams. Um, and I don't know why, <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, you know, our, our it did it didn't make me apprehensive, but I think um, also. When I met my wife, we, you know, we we established a really strong friendship, um, and that was the key for us. Um, people ask, well, "How long have you been married? How, how you know how how have you been able to make it?" I mean, we we don't we, we don't use magic around here. <laughs> 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 you know, it's it's and, and lamp. I, I know you know this, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's some days where, you know, you'd be like, man, I wish this motherfucker would just get out of my face, you know, get around, get around <laughs> me. And sometimes you got to get in the car and you got to go jump on 285 and you got to ride around or, you know, we've had those moments. Um, but I think um, more than anything, we're, we're committed to each other, committed to the commitment of each other. And so it wasn't, I never got into it like thinking, oh, well, you know, this might not work. Yeah, it might not work. It might work, you know. But the biggest thing is trying to make it work today. If I can make it work today, then it's okay. Um, and baby steps. You know, I don't think anybody wakes up and be like, oh, yeah, I want to be married 50. I never said I wanted to be married 50 years. Now I want to be married 50 years. 
But in order for me to get for in order for me to be married in 50 years, like, I have to take it day by day. I know that shit sounds cliche as hell, but no, it, you're right, though. It is, you know, and you know, and I've I've heard your episode and, and sidebar, I I really and I think I told you this, but I really appreciate your transparency on that episode, man, because a lot of stuff you said, um, I saw and felt with some of my my best friends um who went through the same thing. And you know how it is when your boys go when your boy's going through a struggle in his marriage, he's gonna call you. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you go through the same thing, and it, it, he also teaches you, not necessarily knowing, he teaches you some of the pitfalls and some of the things that you should be doing or that you may need to correct or whatever along the way. Yeah. But um, I definitely appreciate that that transparency because that I, I had not heard that level of transparency on a podcast in a long time. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we we just, you know, to get to 23 years, you just take it day by day, you know, because that's all we have anyway, is a day, is each day. Yeah. How would you how would you define yourself as a father? <laughs> father of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Except Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um Nah, I'm um, I'm a little bit of, I'm a little bit of uh, I'm a little bit of Heathcliff Huxtable. I'm a little bit of James Evans. Um, I'm a little bit of um, Carl Winslow. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit of yeah, like a lot of the characters that we saw on TV, uh, especially as a kid. The thing I think I learned, or I'm learning. Well, I knew this a while ago, but, you know, each year you have to change as a father because your children are changing. And, you know, ultimately they get to decide and answer that question better than I can, because. But I always want to make sure that I'm I'm my what I'm doing as a father is in line with who they think that I am. Now, I know there be, there comes a time that, um you know, just like I'm sure you did and I know I did and your listeners did. Where you look at dad, you look at dad as superhero, mm-hmm. and he he's Superman, like he can do no wrong, and he, you know, I remember um, we me and my family we always sit down and we watch Jeopardy together, and I remember one day lamp man when I was just ringing, I mean I I had like four four in a row, and so I was you know bigging myself up and everything, and my kids was really just and it I kind of saw I looked out the corner of my eye they were looking at me like. Like this guy really he's really smart like he knows his shit and i'm like I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing these joints left and right you know but i'm guessing right but like they really thought that i knew everything and, it, and then it kind of hit me like i felt the same way about my dad and still feel it my, you know it's, it's not much that i can i could call him right now it's not much that he don't know you know what i'm saying but mm-hmm. a lot of that comes with wisdom but he's also well read um and so i try to be the same so you know um I tell people, I tell people all the time, man, like I have surpassed him when it comes, if you, if you deal with the material, if you deal with uh, the money, I I make way more than he has ever made, you know? Um, but I still don't think that I am. I still, I, th- I still think I'm chasing my parents as far as the level of parenting where I need to be. Cause they, they, they are, they are goats, man. I, and and I, my mom too. I, I've surpassed her financially and all of that stuff, man. But I, I still look to them, and they are still the gold standard that I live by. So, um, you know, 
I hope when it's all said and done before they throw dirt on me, I, I can hope to say that I've surpassed them, man. But even that, even now at 50, I don't think that I have. But um, if my kids are satisfied with who I am and, and what I did for them and, and who I tried to be for them, um, that's all that matters to me, man. Because the money, the cars, the houses, you can't take that shit with you. You know, but yeah. just knowing that you who you were who you were supposed to be for them, that's all that matters. And I, and I cherish the fact that, you know, I still have my parents here. Uh, my wife still has her parents. And I, I tell my kids all the time, too, you know, talk to your, grand, your grandparents walking in encyclopedias. You think I know something. They lived it. <laughs> <laughs> they lived it. I just, you know, I just little kid who came around in 72. You know, they were on they were outside in 72. You know, what I'm saying? So, <laughs> <laughs> really outside on the picket line and black pride t-shirts and my dad fought in vietnam i mean like they did shit you know like it, it wasn't glamorous and there was no social media to prop it up but they they lived some great lives and they continue to do so and my grandparents the same same thing so um yeah i i, I think a long story short <laughs> i think i'm a great dad i think i am respect i want to close out with this mm-hmm. What would you say the most important decade of your life was and why? Damn, that's a good one. Um, it's got to be that 90s run because I graduated high school in 91. I went to college in 1991, graduated from South Carolina State in 1996, moved to Atlanta in 1997, which was huge. Because I moved here, didn't know it other than my roommate, didn't know anybody. Mm. And <laughs> I've actually I've been in Atlanta 26 years now, Lamp. And so I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life. So this is home, really. Um, but if you'd have told me in 97 that I that if you had told me in 1997 that I was gonna move here, get married, buy a house, you know, have kids and all kind of stuff like that. I told you it was crazy because I came here because Atlanta was popping in 97. <laughs> <laughs> I I come to Freak Neek and lost my damn mind a couple of times. Um, you know, fell in love with Freak Neek um about 20 times in one weekend. Um, hopefully I'm not on that documentary. Uh, <laughs> uh and um, you know, so it's like, you know, I, it's gotta be the 90s. And then like I said, 99 Dion comes uh and becoming a father for the first time changed everything for me the way that I saw the world, everything was different. And so it's like, you know, when you become a parent, you know that you lived a life before you had kids, but your perspective, everything changed. Like, I don't even, like, yeah, I remember me from 92, but, you know, 99 was a game changer. And then, like I said, if you add 2000, you know, that was the year that we got married. So um, that decade, I, I would probably say is the best because it set me up for, for life, basically. Okay. Because if I don't graduate from high school, if I don't go to South Carolina State, if I don't go to South Carolina State, I don't meet Sharice. Maybe I would have met somebody else. Maybe I would have met Matilda. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but and maybe I maybe me and Matilda would have you know had one child instead of four. Um, if I don't move to Atlanta, maybe I move to DC. But if I move to DC, maybe I don't get married. You know, maybe I'm in the club. I'm I'm. You know, maybe I'm partying with rare since every weekend. I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, so you know, a lot of stuff lamp would have changed if I um if I didn't have that decade. That decade set me up for what was to come and um, you know, getting my education and 
and uh, moving on in life. So yeah, I, I would probably have to say the nineties was, <laughs> that was, that was the thing. Cause it, it set me up for everything else. Well, look, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on my podcast. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. I'm actually glad that people talk, was stressing so much that I needed to get to the <laughs> podcast because now I see why. And again, man, that was an excellent, excellent episode. I truly enjoyed it. Like Thank just you, hearing like how that decade formed you, it really was a good lesson. So salute to that episode and salute to you and your family, man. And I wish you all the best. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. I, I'm King Germ told me, he said, uh, he said, man, you need to do one with Lamp, man. He said, man, he's a great interviewer. And then when I heard you for the first time, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, he he need to be on like ABC or something. Like he's, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's been here before. Well, look, before we end it, oh, please tell the people like how they can follow your podcast and, and, okay. and also your social media stuff. Definitely, definitely. The 12 Kyle podcast, it drops every Thursday at midnight. Um, from time to time, we drop bonus episodes on Sundays. Uh, you can find it on any um, service provider that's free. Um, I have also have a YouTube channel uh, where if you want to watch the podcast, you can watch it there as well. Um, you can follow me on the socials, uh, 12 Kyle, one, two K Y L E across the board. Um, the podcast is 12 Kyle podcast, um, Twitter, Facebook, <clears throat> IG threads, spill everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, I wish you all the best, man. And, and I'm looking forward to tuning in to your next episodes. Appreciate it, man. Thanks again. Thank you. I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lent. My Facebook is also conversations with Lent. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.